thank you, Adriana, and thank you to the kids for participating with us. I'm grateful for <clears throat> I'm grateful for our, our children's workers um, and for the work that they do each week. Um, and it's nice uh, once a month to have our kids join us and to be part of our services. And so um, we uh, just try to incorporate a moment for the kids to to come up and to share and to. Uh, uh, to be uh, have a moment for them in our services when they stay. So uh, thank you to Adriana and thanks to the kids. Um, they're, they're, they're the church today, right? They're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. Um, and I'm grateful for our, our kids. I'm grateful for uh, our teens. Um, I'm grateful for our church family. Um, today in our journey through Corinthians, we come across probably the most widely used chapter of the book, the love chapter, right? First Corinthians thirteen. Um, I would I would easily and confidently state that this is probably the most loved, the most used, the most quoted, the most memorized chapter uh, in First Corinthians. And today uh, we get to talk about love together. So um, I invite you uh, to turn to First Corinthians chapter thirteen, uh, either in your Bibles or on your devices as you have them available. Um, and if you're able, I ask that you would stand as we read God's word together. I'm going to read all of chapter uh, 13 uh, from the Common English Bible this morning. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything that I have and hand over my body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous, it doesn't brag, it isn't arrogant, it isn't rude, it doesn't seek its own advantage, it isn't irritable, it doesn't keep a record of complaints, it isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will be brought to an end. As for tongues, they will stop. As for knowledge, it will be brought to an end. We know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, what is partial will be brought to an end. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, reason like a child, think like a child, but now I have become a man. I've put an end to childish things. Now we see a reflection in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known. Now faith, hope, and love remain. These three things, and the greatest of these, is love. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please be seated. <clears throat> Well, this, this text undoubtedly makes me think of my marriage. And you've probably been to several weddings in your life, and you've probably heard this quoted um, at a wedding or two that you've been to. Um, <clears throat> the wedding it makes me think of, at least it did this week, 
was a, a pretty famous one, a recorded one on a little movie called The Princess Bride, where the priest gets up in his regalia, looking very dignified, hasn't spoken a word, turns around to the camera, the camera zooms in, and he says, Marriage. <laughs> Marriage is what brings us together today. Um, interesting scene as the marriage goes on and the, the dread pirate Roberts is storming the gates and, and there's chaos and, and the, the groom says, man and wife, say man and wife. And the priest says, man and wife. And, and they bolt off to, to have their little battle. Uh, this is a popular, a popular text, one that almost preaches itself, one that's uh, easy to preach. I mean, who wouldn't enjoy talking about uh, love as the epitome and the essence of what it means to be Christian and what it means to be the church together? It's, it's commonly known. It's easily recognizable. Um, someone starts reading this passage and, and people can join in. Love is patient. Love is kind. These words are familiar. But there's also a danger in familiarity with Bible texts. I think sometimes when, when it's too familiar, when it's too known, sometimes we think, okay, yeah, yeah, I've got this. I, I understand. I've heard this before. And sometimes that can interfere with the new thing that God wants to do in our hearts, the new thing that God wants to do in our lives. But today, as we've journeyed through 1 Corinthians, as we've spent now 12 weeks previously, and now our 13th week in 1 Corinthians, we get to see it within context. We get to see it as a part of a continuous whole, seeing the whole letter. We have to begin to ask, as we read through it in context with 1 Corinthians, where is Paul coming from on this? Is it, it really kind of is odd. It really kind of is, is out of place. His whole letter has been about trying to help this church, trying to correct some of the errors of this church. Saying, you're a family. You belong together. Factions aren't okay. There, there isn't part of us who follow this group and another part of us who follow this group. You are the church together. Build each other up. Don't tear each other down. Um, and then he breaks off on this almost poetic, almost lyrical exposition on what love is. So, so it matches kind of the theme of this letter, um, and yet it really breaks up two chapters that are talking about spiritual gifts in the church from Corinth that he had been spending uh, chapter 12 talking about the different manifestations of the Spirit, the different gifts that the Spirit gives, and as we turn to 14 next week, we're going to understand that he's really honing in on, on one particular spiritual gift. But in the middle, we have this beautiful thing, this beautiful exposition on what it means to love. Uh, we're going to find out as we, as we jump into 14 that, that there was this gift that they were overemphasizing, this gift that they were really focused on um, speaking in tongues. And right there, right off the bat in chapter 12, he says, uh, he, he, talks about, he talks about these gifts that have been inflated. 
um, in, in 1 through 3, he, he strips down all the gifts that, that they had been talking about. Um, uh, if we speak in the tongues of human beings and of angels but don't have love, what does Paul say? He says, it's pointless. He talks about prophecy. He talks about knowing um, mysteries and everything else. And he says, if we don't have love, we've missed the boat. There, the, all these things that he mentions are good things, would be great things for us to have in the church. But if we don't have love, we don't have anything. What does good look like for us today? What does good look like for you today? What does success look like? If we have the biggest church but have not love, we're nothing. We have the best Bible studies, the best youth group. Uh, we put on the best musicals in Easter time. If we have the trendiest graphics or the best slogans or the best mottos. But this is a place devoid of love. We've missed the mark. If we have not love, we are nothing. And that's what he's talking to the church about. This church that had gotten so centered on gifts. This church that had, had propped certain people up and, and said, look, look at what we can do. Look at what the Spirit has given us even. But if we don't have love for one another, we are nothing. And it's true in our personal lives as well. Certainly we can apply it to our church, but, but as we look at our own lives, as we look at our own personal lives and, and the pursuits that we have and, and the things that we call good, the things that we strive for, if we attain all that this world has to offer and we lack love, Paul would say, it's for nothing. Paul goes on and he describes love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love, love doesn't brag. Love doesn't get jealous. I was reading one author this, uh, this week that talked about this chapter. And he said, do this as an exercise. So from verses 4 through 7, every time you see the word love or every time you see the word it as it refers to love, substitute the word Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus isn't jealous. Jesus doesn't brag, isn't rude, isn't arrogant, didn't seek his own advantage, isn't irritable. And it holds true. And it holds true that this picture that we get of Jesus matches the life that we see described in the Gospels. Matches the life that, that, that Jesus sought to live as he was here on earth. <laughs> the same author then suggests the exercise of putting your own name in that spot. And pause for just a moment for introspection, <laughs> maybe for a little confession, <laughs> maybe for a little repentance. As I, as I live my life, as I, as I walk through my week, sometimes it's hard to live that way. Sometimes I don't measure up. <laughs> Sometimes I run out of patience. 
One of the most beautiful aspects of love that Paul points out is its endurance. One of the most beautiful aspects of love that Paul points out is its endurance. Our love is eternal. The love that we give will move on past us. We'll continue to give once we're no longer present, once we're no longer alive. The, the gifts, the gifts that the, the Corinthian church had gotten so fixated on and so, so amped up about, they give out. They go away. We can't, they, they, they aren't eternal. They don't last forever. Our gifts give out. Our bodies age and give us fits. Our minds sometimes struggle to keep up. All the things he had talked about in chapter 12, prophecy and knowledge and tongues are all temporary. But the love that we give, the relational connection that we, we were able to establish that we make with other people has the opportunity to endure and to last. It doesn't fail. It doesn't give out. Even past our days. And he ends up talking about uh, ending childish ways. He's not talking about immature behavior. He's not saying don't be childlike. He's saying that believing, our, believing in our giftedness is so temporary. And it will go away. Then he talks about how now we see in a mirror, but eventually all will be made clear. That the way things are now won't always be this way. All the things that we trust in ourselves to do are fading. The gifts fade. What remains? He offers three things. Faith and hope and love. And the greatest, the greatest of these three is the love that we have to give. <laughs> There's a popular song, All We Need Is Love, right? Love, love, love. All we need is love. What if that were actually true? What if we even acted like that were actually true? How much of a difference would that make in our lives? What would that point our priorities toward? So often, so often I act like I need so much more. The, the, the needs pile up. I've got to have this. I've got to do that. This is important. Too often there, I, 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 my life reveals that I feel like there's so much more to be chased after than just that truth that God's love is the greatest thing that we can pursue. Um, as I prepared this week and as, as so much of what this text points us toward in loving one another, I couldn't help but get around this impression and this realization that in our world today, it's tough. It's tough to be a person of love in this world today. Um, I could get into a little bit of trouble over this, and I'm going to work hard not to. Um, but I, I just couldn't. I couldn't get away. I couldn't get away from it. This, this week, this season of our life, we're entering a season uh, of time this year known as election season. 
a time when America decides they're president for the next four years, but also a time when America seems to decide that we only have to love about half the other people in the country. That is not what we're called to be as the church. That is not what we're called to be as the church. And not just about election season these days, but in so many other areas and avenues of life, things have gotten so divided. I have seen and witnessed and heard so much anger, so much animosity. And the sad thing to me is the church has gotten caught up in it. That those who follow Christ have a greater loyalty than to their president, than to their king, than to their opinion. And our greater loyalty is to Christ and none other. A greater loyalty that says, Christ said that love matters, that love wins, that love is the guiding principle of how we are to treat one another. And we've fallen for the trap, the easy trap of calling people out, of calling people names, of dehumanizing the person that has that other opinion. Whatever that other opinion happens to be. It's not easy. It's not easy to live with the priorities of Christ. It's not easy to take this chapter at face value and say, this is how we're called to live today. But since when is the call to live like Christ the easy thing to do? Christ didn't say, eh, go the easy route. The Christian walk isn't, oh, do what's easy. It's never been that way. Love is easy when, it, when it's all the people who agree with you. Love is hard when it causes you to care for the other, when it humbles you, when it says relationship is more important than being right here. This is all the things that Paul has been talking about all letter long from the, <clears throat> from the factions that he talked about in the first four chapters. Some say, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Apollos. From the very get-go, he was talking about these factions. And moving on, the church's responses in 5 and 6 to the laying down of rights in 7 through 10. Right up now through this discussion of gifts, Paul has been saying the same thing that within the church for the people who follow Christ love is our ethic love is our normal and we have to fight for it love is what we're called to and it's not easy it's easy to be mean and critical it's easy to have a sharp edge on the tone of your voice it's easy to drift away from a relationship. And Paul tells the Corinthian church, and Paul tells us, we should be different. We should be different. Love ought to be our normal. And today as we gather, and today as we um, participate in, in communion together, as we open the Lord's table. This is one of the most beautiful parts 
of communion to me. In my mind, there nowhere else is Christ's love for us made so plain. There's no more unifying tradition in all of Christian experience than the table of communion, than the setting of the table. It, it transcends times. It transcends the era that we come from. from it, it goes beyond our denomination. It goes beyond many of the traditions that we hold, that all around the world today, there will be people who participate with us in partaking the body and blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And in that moment, and in that moment, I pray that those who worship Jesus Christ today, no matter what country they're from, no matter what situation they find themselves, that they identify themselves as people of love, people who choose to live life as Christ would call them to. And I pray that's our response today too, that as you receive communion, if you choose to do so, that you would say, I choose to live a life of love, the type of love that's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to ask the praise team and those who are prepared to serve uh, to please come forward. Um, and as they do so, <clears throat> let me just remind you, this, this meal runs so counter to the world. We celebrate a sacrificed ruler. <laughs> we celebrate Jesus Christ who sacrificed his very life. We follow the one who was condemned as a traitor. We follow the one who won no election, who failed all expectations, who let everyone down, so it seemed, when he died on the cross. And we remember that moment. We celebrate it. Why? Because it was a glorious, revolutionary, ridiculous act of love. He loved us first and charted a course for us that revolutionizes our world even today. Uh, today, as we serve communion, I just want to let you know our servers have taken extra precautions as we serve communion. Um, and instead of inviting you forward um, to the front of the room, we're simply going to ask that today, if you'd like to participate in communion, would you um, just, uh, when, when I give, give you this instruction, you can just stand or you can just raise your hand. Um, and the servers will then come to you uh, to be served. Uh, they will place in your hands a piece of the bread and a cup of juice, um, and if you would just hold on to those until everyone has been served, uh, then we can all take communion together at the same time. Um, as cons is consistent with our practice, uh, we serve elements that won't affect those that are sensitive to gluten. And so at this time, if you'd like to participate in communion, would you please stand or raise your hand to be served? He is good, amen? Amen. We celebrate that today. I invite you as you're able to extend your hands to receive the benediction this day. We are invited and so I invite you. Go. Go and love. Go into this world that desperately needs to see in action the love that Christ extends to all creation. And be that kind of Christ follower. Amen. Go in the love of Christ.